We're live? All right. What is going on, everybody? This is the Xbox 2 Plus 1 show. I'm your host, Randall Thor 19 the man with the million. Uh, with me, as always, we have the managing editor of Windows Central, Jez Corden. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. Rock and rolling. Monday. You Rock know, and rolling. Got those Monday yeah. feels, but... It's a cool Monday because we've got a cool guest. For the, yeah. For the show. So the guest this month, a lot of people asked for this man to give some amazing insight into the whole Xbox ABK drama, PlayStation, everything that's going on. Uh, he's uh, taken Twitter by storm with his accurate analysis. And we are more than pleased to welcome... Uh, Florian Muller to the show. I'm sorry if I said your last name wrong, a.k.a. Foss Patents. Uh, he is here. Welcome, and thank you for, for being with us. Thanks for having me, and thanks especially to the members of your audience who specifically requested that I join you. I'm very happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. Now, uh, before we get into everything, I, I figured, you know what? Why don't you take the stage and, and let, tell people exactly who you are, what you've been doing, so, uh, you know, where they can follow you, those sort of things. Yeah, so, um, well, I, I've been in this industry now for more than three decades, so it's obviously like, you know, telling the story of my life here would take a little bit too long, but let me maybe focus on on a few things that are relevant to our, to our topic today and relate to my background. Um in the mid-1990s, mid to late 90s, um, I was actually the first person to work for Blizzard Entertainment outside the U.S. At the time, there were about 50 people in a small office building in Irvine, California. And I, in fact, managed marketing and PR and um, localization, meaning translations, for Warcraft 2 in the Central European markets, i.e. the German-speaking oh markets. And <laughs> and yeah, that was actually the first time that a Blizzard product reached the top of the sell-through charts. It be, uh, Warcraft 2 also became number one in the U.S. for a few months later. So I actually managed marketing for Blizzard's first number one hit in a way. So um, that, of course, creates some kind of uh, special emotional connection for me uh, with this whole merger topic. And um, I... In, in the 2000s, my focus shifted a little bit from just like marketing related work to um, legal and policy issues, especially from the, um, fr um, from the industry policy point of view. So I uh, ran a campaign about uh, the patentability of, of computer programs in the EU, opposing an EU law that I think would have gone way too far, uh, actually successfully opposed it, won some awards for that. And then in the late 2000s, in fact, for the first time, I opposed a merger. So uh, I've been basically in Sony's current shoes, um, so I know exactly what the opportunities but also the challenges are, and that kind of like played a role why I wanted to chime in on this. And then in 2010, shortly after that merger opposition thing I mentioned, I um, started the FOSS patents blog. So people can find that um, FOSS actually... Um, most people don't even know what it stands for and why that's the name. Some people even think it's my name, which I assure you it's not. Um, <laughs> it's uh, free and open source software. So it was initially really about patent issues facing 
Linux, MySQL, those types of programs. Um, but when I launched that blog in 2010, that was exactly the year when the smartphone patent war started with Apple suing HTC, Oracle suing Google, Microsoft suing Motorola, the following year, Apple suing Samsung. And that's how my blog, in fact, became a mobile patents blog, a smartphone patent wars blog. <laughs> and, um, but what happened then is that... Um, Sometimes there were also some interesting mergers, like Google buying Motorola, the phone maker, in the early 2010s, that also raised um, antitrust issues, potentially at least. In fact, there were investigations, and also uh, Google had to make some concessions in order to be allowed to acquire Motorola, and those concessions related to, to the patent part. And maybe I should also add in this context that... Um, over the years, I've in fact given advice to a huge number of financial investors, um, so-called risk arbitrageurs, ARPs, the people who bet on these transactions happening, but they can also short sell stock. So they can also actually bet against it. They yeah. can just say, yeah, we are actually going to cash in if regulators block it. And I've given advice to a huge number of them over the course of the 2010s in connection with Google, Motorola and some other transactions. And yeah, and here we are. So um, uh, just uh, one last thing. So for proper disclosure, I mentioned my blizzard path, which obviously is a very emotional thing for me. But um, it's also a fact that I have properly disclosed on my blog and my author's profile. People can find this. Uh, um, Microsoft is one of my many uh, clients. I, I get support from them in connection with app developer issues, since I'm also actually in the app development business when I'm not writing about these kinds of things. And that's, um, but not as, a, as a, not coding act, act actively anymore. So that's why um, I just want people to know that. But obviously, um, what's most important to me is to um, to make accurate predictions, and that will never be compromised. So people can can rest assured that whenever I take a position on what's going to happen or what I believe is right or wrong in this, it's really my personal opinion. I'm obviously not in a position to speak for Microsoft or Activision Blizzard. Nah, I appreciate that, mate. But like, dude, I didn't know that you'd work for Blizzard. Like, you're you're a celebrity for me now. <laughs> well, uh, there's a website. Yeah, um, there's a website named Moby Games, and they list game credits, even from some very old games going back to like the 1990s and you can find my name in the credits of warcraft 2 starcraft 1 and diablo 1 that is super cool well i mean it must be a particularly interesting topic of the last few years i want i want to ask you something actually like this is this isn't related directly to the um to the uh to the merger or anything but I mean, how how have you felt about Blizzard in the last few years? Because they've been like hit by scandal after scandal after scandal, and things seem to be improving a little bit now. But have you have you been following any of that stuff at all? Um, not in depth, but I've obviously seen the headlines. I read a couple of articles. It was obviously um, unfortunate to read. However, I never really found the names of any of the people, any of the Blizzard people I used to work with in the 90s um, uh, mentioned as being involved with any of the bad stuff. So um, the people I used to know, they I think they all left a few years ago, like Mike Morheim, who was a longtime Blizzard president. Yeah. Um, 
Frank Pierce, a vice president, Paul Sames, who was like the chief operating officer, the, the, the commercial guy, um, Alan Adham, one of the founders left, and I think he rejoined a few years ago, but none of them fortunately was involved with that, which is why obviously I, um, I wasn't that worried about it. And frankly, um, it's, um, it's probably very difficult to, to run a company of that size without some people at some point, yeah, breaking some rules. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely been a crazy few years for Blizzard, and now and now this imminent to join Microsoft, I suppose. I mean, I suppose like we could get straight into the nitty gritty, unless Rand's got any more questions with regards. Well, it's. To some of that. I mean, I, I mean, I got questions, but I just, I just, I, I sort, I said this to Florian before the show, but the thing I really appreciate him uh, for is his knowledge and his insight about all this stuff going on because there's definitely a lot of people opining about this and you know i'm one jez is one plenty of people on the internet of course that's what people do give their opinions but i mean like i don't have a background in any of this so a lot of the coverage of this merger uh i feel has sort of been written by people without a complete understanding now there's some people that do have an understanding like hoglaw and a few others uh but I appreciate, like, when I, like, follow someone and be like, okay, when when they give their predictions and this thing, I, I look at it like, all right, well, you were wrong about this, so maybe I'll discount you. But when you started coming on the scene, uh, Florian, talking about this deal, it seemed that you've been pretty much right on track about everything. And I attribute that to your, your, your knowledge base uh, about, uh, you know, all this in general. So I really appreciate the coverage that you give on Twitter. Uh, because it kind of cuts through a lot of the uninformed opinions that a lot of the game journalists have uh, on the subject. Thanks very much, Rand. Um, That's really, you know, very flattering. I honestly think that games journalists have, um, by and large, done a very good job trying to figure out these things. But what what I should say is that some of them may have been just for lack of knowledge of what really are the outcome determinative issues in a merger case. For for that reason, some of them may have been overly receptive to some of Sony's arguments. To to give you one example, this story about, well, Microsoft's got a $1.8 trillion market cap. Saudi Aramco has that market cap too. Would it matter if they bought Activision Blizzard? It would not. Um, Or... Blizzard cost, Activision Blizzard costs 70 billion. That's almost as, as much as Sony's market cap. Sony would not be able to afford this. There is no law, neither a statute, a written law, nor any case law, anything that judges have decided that says you're not allowed to spend a certain amount of money because somebody else could not afford the same acquisition. And those are just a couple of examples of many where I think people, some people just attributed too much way they they overrated the importance of some of those Sony talking points. Does it I guess do you feel like any I know the regulators are doing their job and there definitely was a change with the CMA recently, which we'll talk about. Do you feel that the regulators relied too heavily on what Sony was telling them from the get-go? Because it sort of seemed like that for me. Like when you get the FTC saying stuff and the CMA saying stuff 
it felt like they really followed like Sony's PR talking points. Is do you think that has been uh, going on in this case? Um, I obviously try to differentiate between the different regulators, and that's something I've also been been trying very hard to do in my commentary. So, for example, when the CMA put out its provisional findings and its initial position on remedies um, about a couple of months ago, I was actually the lone voice saying, hey, this is not as bad as, as most people believe it looks because they have their own style, they are different, they are special, they are unique, but um, it doesn't mean that they may not be actually be, being very constructive in their own way. And that's why I would like to just not, even though there are, of course, some parallels, and you see that at some point they had largely overlapping um, sets of issues they were looking at, but I really think they, they, they were all driven by different motivations. Unfortunately, I must say the FTC um, has come across as activists. I think the CMA, they are thorough and tough. But as we've seen on Friday, they ultimately are rational and constructive. And the European Commission... Um, the only thing that confused me there was when a commission official was not involved with the process per se, but declared himself a huge PlayStation fan and was talking on Twitter about how they were going to make sure that all PlayStation gamers would continue to have access to the Call of Duty. That was the only moment when I had doubts about the European Commission's intentions, but with everything that's happened since, I also feel pretty good about the commission. Yeah. I mean, make sure if I say something wrong, make sure you correct me because, like I said, I don't know anything about this. Um, I guess uh, I don't know, Jez. Where do you want to start at? Do you want to start? I mean, we don't necessarily start at the beginning, but we could start at like the more recent stuff, right? If you want, yeah. I mean, start there. I mean, I'm kind of curious, like Florian, like how much, how familiar were you with the UK regulator, the CMA, and how much, like. How much did you anticipated the the process of the UK regulatory stuff to go? Because I kind of feel like the 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 UK stuff and the way the UK seemed to have handled this was interesting to say. <laughs> I just wonder yes. what, what your thoughts were going in, and then over the over the course of the last few months, because last week, uh, you know, for those who don't know they pretty much reduced their concerns away from Sony and moved them more towards cloud, which, you know, most people are taken as a big win. The stock price jumped a lot. So, yeah, I mean, what what were your th- thoughts going through that particular process with regards to C- UK CMA? Yeah, um, well, uh, th- there previously was a very interesting merger review um, that also... Um, kept regulators busy in, in all um, four corners of the earth, and that was NVIDIA ARM, yeah. um, which was about chipset designs. And that one, I was not actively involved with this, didn't, didn't write about it, but it was one that I was actually following, and I was in touch with uh, some, of the, uh, some of the complainants, especially one from the semiconductor industry who briefed me on this. And that was obviously a very special case because of ARM being a UK company originally. And um, I, I felt, I always felt that, well, even though the UK had a very 
um, specific reason to take a strong interest in that case. I don't really see that applying here to this Activist Blizzard stuff. That, and the other um, uh, kind of activity on the CMA's part that I've been looking at in recent years is all the, all the work that they've been doing and continue to do on those app store issues, including cloud gaming and mobile browsers, where they launched that investigation. Um, Apple is, in fact, the key target of that, one primary target. Apple is appealing this already at a stage where it has barely begun. They are already appealing. They say, hey, they, they actually they, it took the CMA too long to, to give notice of the actual investigation after doing the initial uh, consultation. And Apple may have a point there, by the way. I don't rule that out, even though I would like that investigation to go forward because I believe the uh, those are very important issues. The fact that on iOS you can only run Safari, basically. I mean, if you get Chrome or any other browser, they ba they're basically Safari just in disguise. And that is what the CMA is interested in. And, and that relates to cloud gaming because um, if you wanted to do game streaming like the xCloud kind of stuff, then um, if you could use your own browser engine, then instead of being forced to use Apple's, then you might be able to actually give people a much better user experience and, and higher performance, but Apple doesn't allow that. So I think the CMA is doing some interesting work in that field. I very much like what they are doing there and I wish them luck. So it's not like I, I was totally unfamiliar with their work when this started, um, but obviously I then had to do some reading on what they had done in some earlier cases. And there's one of those earlier cases that's also in a different industry, in the media and the publishing industry, is that Bauer Media case, which was about another murder, which has some interesting parallels with this one because for two reasons. One is that um, that was about the only one in recent history where the CMA, in a remedies notice, at least talked about potential behavioral remedy. Mm. Even though we know that in the ABK case and that remedies notice they published um, about two months ago, they voiced a very, very strong preference for structural remedies, which means divestiture or blocking it all the way. They nevertheless discussed this possibility of access remedies and they just laid out the criteria. They made it clear that, of course, it would have to be effective, it would have to be administrable, it would have to be reliable, enforceable, everything. And that was also the case in another case. And then the other thing is that in that Bauer case, they also actually, at a similar stage of proceeding as here, they narrowed their case. And then later, they cleared it based on access remedies. So I had to like do some you know, reading on, on some of those earlier cases. And fortunately, the CMA is very transparent. So you can actually obtain a lot of documents on it. That's quite interesting. And so, like, it's kind of weird because I felt like in the phase one, they made some, I don't know, pretty, what I thought to be pretty ignorant statements on the face of it. Like, some of the stuff they, they suggested just wasn't true to the way the video game industry is. And then, like, as we got further and further into it, it felt like they got more and more information and they learned and they got better. And now they, they seem to have a more complete understanding of things. Is that typical in in regu in 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 you know regulators in regulatory processes where initially they don't really understand an industry and then they work through it and stuff? Because I suppose there hasn't really been a video game merger on this scale before, particularly you know, well, ever. I thinking about it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. <coughs> 
they're actually, that's the whole reason why you have a phase one and a phase two in basically every jurisdiction. So you have a fast track on which either like the, 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 the FTC or DOJ could clear a merger and just say, go ahead, we've approved it. Um, the European Commission has that. They call it phase one, the same with the, with the CMA or phase two. So the purpose during the first, say, four to six weeks, depending on the jurisdiction, is really just to identify potential issues, which is not the same as reaching a definitive conclusion that there are huge problems. It just means, does this actually warrant a closer look? Does this need more scrutiny? So in that regard, I would say the CMA is not that different from the others. What I do very much appreciate about the CMA that they really, unlike some others who may then be have a certain inhibition to actually come out and say, hey, we were wrong on this, or, or our position was not the right one, we are just now going to modify it. Um, others don't do it quite as openly as the CMA does. So the CMAs noticed that we all saw on Friday, where they just said, we've now actually changed our stance, we no longer believe that there's a huge risk here, a risk of a substantial lessening of competition, as the, as the term um, goes, um, because of Microsoft potentially foreclosing the PlayStation, meaning that they would withhold Call of Duty or at least withhold Call of Duty in its, um, in it, withhold the best version of Call of Duty um, from Sony's PlayStation. That, I think, is just what the, what the CMA does. So I would say they're actually very honest regulators. Also, by the way, Jess, I, I totally agree that uh, some of those initial statements, I also, on my blog, criticized them, didn't make sense. So, for example, early on, uh, they really also had this argument that Microsoft was inherently um, uh, uh, strong in cloud gaming because of the Azure cloud combined with Windows. And if you then actually think about it, technically, for instance, to stream a game, you don't actually have to run the game on Windows. You could also run it on any other um, um, platform. Also, Windows is not like iOS or Android. It's not a walled garden that is controlled, tightly controlled to that extent. So anybody can, can use Windows and Azure as a cloud. I mean, um, anybody who's interested in cloud business knows that, um, in fact, Google is the one is the one of the three major cloud providers, the so-called hyperscalers, uh, Amazon, well, there are like four if you add um, Alibaba in China, but like in, in the Western hemisphere, that's that's Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and Google is the one who's in fact um, made um, the greatest effort of all of them and the most persistent effort um, to sell its services to game makers. And that's why a lot of those major games use uh, the Google Cloud for their back. Oh, right. I actually did not know that. But it makes sense because I think Google was maybe ahead in some ways initially. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is all, it's really intriguing. You know, I mean, I, I was, pro I've been probably pretty harsh to the UK CMA. But you are yes, right. You that, have been. You yeah. have been. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I've been pretty harsh to the UK CMA. But, I mean, it comes from a place of a being British and just having no faith in our in our in our um I don't know what you call it our establishment systems here for various reasons. 
But also, like, um, just some of the comments they made in the first phase was just like, man, okay, this is it. They don't know what they're talking about. And, and I was doom and glooming. Rand knows I was doom and glooming. Oh, yeah. Doom and See, Florian, here's here's what happened. Jez, so the, the you know they announced the acquisition last year in January, and Jez was really happy because Jez is a Blizzard fanboy, right? It's his love. He like that's that's his that's his team, and he was so excited for them to join Xbox. Then it sort of looked like maybe there was a chance it was going to get blocked, right? The FTC sues the block, basically doesn't even meet with Microsoft in December. They're like, no political reasons. And I'm sure we'll talk about the FTC more because I do want to uh, get your thoughts on all that. Then it, the CMA put out their position and it was like, man, this doesn't really sound any good. They got like three theories of harm. The European Commission was kind of quiet. Um, but this past weekend, I, I think this was a big turning point for the deal, right? Um, CMA goes from phase one to phase two. You have a lot of back and forth between Sony and Microsoft. CMA fielding emails from uh, you know, their their constituents, you know, like the the people uh, getting stuff from industry players. And um, one of the things was that they were concerned that Microsoft could foreclose on Sony by denying them access to Call of Duty in, in, a, in a myriad of different ways, like raising the price or just taking it away or degrading the game. Uh, and that was the one where they said, well, we may not be able to do behavioral remedies. We might have to do a divestment. You might have to sell COD. But then this Friday, they basically admitted they made a mistake, right? They said that the math they were using was was wrong, and now they don't have a theory of harm against PlayStation. They're not worried about that anymore. Can you speak to like how uh, rare it is for a regulator like that to come out and say, you know what, we made a mistake and this thing that we were, we were really super concerned about, it's not even an issue anymore. Yeah, they, they kind of tried to, to bury that admission somewhere in that document. They didn't really just say like, hey, we, uh, we really had like some problem with our, our math here. Um, but um, if one reads their announcement and then also compares this to Microsoft's submission when they commented on the provisional findings and raised that issue, um, then of course one can connect the dots and see that that's probably uh, what it is about. But then they also just generally talk about having additional evidence. Again, I mean, I actually appreciate this. I, I commend them for being this transparent and being you know this committed to uh, to reaching the right conclusions. I, I view that as, as totally positive. I think it would be great if everybody in that, um, in that field could act like that, including the FTC. It would be great to see that from the FTC, but um, nobody knows right now whether we will. Yeah. So now the CMA seems to only really have cloud concerns. Right, which Microsoft is trying to address with these deals. They signed one with NVIDIA, uh, Boosteroid, and I forget the third one. Um, Ubitus. Ubitus, yes. Do you foresee the CMA... Like, the way I look at it is, like, I don't think the CMA can or will block over cloud concerns, and certainly they wouldn't ask Xbox to divest over it. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, in fact, in my most recent blog post on this merger review, which I put out, I think, on Saturday morning, um, I've also tried to explain this to my readers, and maybe I can summarize it here very, very briefly, what my thinking is. 
um, the difference between the console market theory of harm, the PlayStation theory, which they've abandoned, and that cloud gaming theory is that they've themselves said that cloud gaming is a nascent market. And we all know that if you talk about a very dynamic market with a company like Google exiting and somebody like Netflix contemplating entering. And when, the, when you have these kinds of dynamics, um, any prediction about how things are going to play out in that market are inherently fraught with uncertainty. It is not a, a strong theory or strong enough to really insist on a divestiture, in my opinion, if you're talking about a market um, where there's so much going on, uh, apart from the fact that also there's really no, no evidence, in my opinion, that um, shows that uh, Call of Duty has the potential to tip the scales in that market, or even all of those Activision Blizzard King titles combined. Um, that's why my feeling is that, yes, we are now at a stage where it should be a lot easier um, for the CMA, as it was in that Bauer Media case I mentioned, it should be easier now that they've narrowed the case to really say, okay, um, now the appropriate remedy, and, this, and the legal term here is it has to be proportionate. It has to be proportionate to how serious the concern is. Uh, now the appropriate and proportionate remedy is an access remedy, especially with Microsoft already creating facts already creating these facts by, by doing those deals with NVIDIA, um, Boosteroid, Ubitus being prepared to do them with others, um, with uh, Valve, the Steam company, having said, we don't even need to sign anything with Microsoft because we know that when they uh, make this commitment, we can trust them. And those are facts that cannot be ignored. That's why my personal opinion is that um, the, the logical and um, rational outcome here would be either that they clear even without any formal remedies, that they just say that because of Microsoft having done those cloud gaming deals, the concern has gone away. That would be, of course, the best case scenario for Microsoft, or alternatively, that they are going to um, yeah, rely on the commitments that Microsoft formally offered to the CMA about cloud gaming, which is to give these types of deals to, to all comers. So anybody who wants this, and that's what I think uh, is, those are like the most likely outcomes, I can really hardly see that they would want to block a deal when actually the acquirer is more than happy to do those access deals with everybody in the industry and has demonstrated. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the exact same way. Like, I was kind of 50-50 on the deal. I My whole thing was, you know what, I'm going to expect the deal to get blocked just so I wouldn't feel upset if it did. And then I'd be like, and if it does get approved, I'd be happy. So it's like, expect the worst, you know? Um, I guess with the play, like, so with the back and forth between Microsoft and X or Microsoft and, and PlayStation on this, being like, Hey, we have a contract for, for you to sign. And now with the CMA and presumably the European commission, both dropping concerns about console gaming. Um, how do you see Sony coming to the table to sign this, uh, anytime soon? Do you see them holding out? Because um, Microsoft doesn't have to offer that deal to Sony anymore, right? Because both regulators have determined that it's basically not an issue. Am I correct in that? Well, at least they have uh, made this determination on a provisional basis. Certainly, it's not final until they, they put out their rulings where the CMA's deadline is April 26th and the 
Um, the, the EU deadline is May 22nd, but uh, it's right that where things stand right now, that they, they say that they're no longer concerned, and there's only the FTC left, and the FTC is a um, is different from the EU and the uh, UK regulators in the sense that the FTC itself cannot block the deal. It needs traditional support. It needs to seek a preliminary injunction. And the FTC tried that against Meta in that in connection with the Meta Within uh, deal, which was about a virtual reality fitness app, and they lost, and then the deal was closed, and the FTC gave up. Th that could happen here as well. So all things considered, um, it probably would be advisable for Sony to at least try to make something uh, work now. I don't. I just have no idea of how a Sony's execs view this, and b. Um, what advice they get from Cleary Gottlieb, the firm that's advising them worldwide, uh, the firm that, by the way, has often been adverse to Microsoft. This is not the first occasion. Mm, and um, what they are telling them, um, whether they maybe uh, promote holdout over um, over constructiveness. <laughs> holdout. So you think it's you think it, there might be a real you know a chance that Sony doesn't come to the table and it's just kind mm -hmm. of like waits to see how everything plays out because in my my view it's like Sony knows Microsoft has publicly come out and said we're not removing this from PlayStation right so what incentive does PlayStation really have to sign the deal i know you could say well content parity and tech parity and all that sort of stuff but PlayStation is also not a company that likes to lose and PR is a big part of their image and i know this is kind of outside of like the whole regulatory process but they don't like to be seen as losers and i sort of feel uh that them signing the deal would be admitting that they lost so i know i've seen a lot of people saying they have to come to the table like sooner rather than later i think it's possible they wait they wait to like the very end to see how things go just to hold it up longer than than you know than it's then, then they might, you know, then, then they could see it happening. I don't know. I, I'm very, I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with with Sony on this one. Could there be some kind of strategic element there where it's like they don't sign a deal, and then they can go to regulators and be like, "Hey, look, we didn't get caught after all that, you know," and obfuscate again. I don't know. Is there that possibility? It's. I'm just trying to think all the different angles that this could play out in. Right, and there are different angles. There are different ways of looking at the different schools of thought out there. Um, first, the PlayStation's market power is so huge that that alone, regardless of Microsoft obviously also having made those public uh, statements, but that alone ensures that Microsoft's going to need access to the PlayStation. Mm. I, I think the primary reason for which Sony should actually come to the table and work things out is that because Sony should think, should already start to look past this particular merger and um, think about its relationship with those regulatory agencies. And Sony could simplify things a great deal in a political sense um, and even in a legal sense for those regulators by actually working it out now, by being constructive, that would really yeah, save those um, those regulators who still have to write write up their decisions. It would save them a fair amount of time and and would simplify the whole process. It would make it a lot less difficult to then explain the whole reasoning. 
that is, in my opinion, what Sony should should be thinking about because, A, Sony is a reasonably acquisitive um, corporation. They, they do deals all the time. And so they sometimes need regulatory approvals of mergers, but also um, it's not like Sony's conduct is um, not potentially at some point also going to be the target of and the topic of subject of investigations. In the UK, there's a class action lawsuit brought by lawyers, not by the CMA, but there's this lawsuit called PlayStation You Owns over, over the 30% cut that they're taking from, uh, from game makers. And those lawyers are saying, well, this is actually, they should, they should in fact refund some of this because gamers overpaid as a result of Sony imposing, imposing the, the, the 30%. And then Sony has very restrictive rules. I did a whole Twitter thread about that um, about a week ago or less um, about all those Sony rules that are actually more restrictive in some ways even than Apple's rules when it comes to cross-platform play and what happens when people buy a digital item on one platform and then use it on another, for example, the PlayStation. So that's why I think Sony should really like do the best now for its relationship with the regulators. Yeah, I mean... Some people have been coming out and saying things like Sony may have overplayed its hand here by getting so deeply involved in this. Do you, I mean, do you think that's possible? Especially given the fact that, like, last week you had U.S. senators calling out their market share um, in uh, Japan being like, I don't know if you saw this news, Florian, by the way. but um, I actually, yeah, I, I tweeted about it because then... Um, there were some people trying to just attribute this to the fact that the senator had received some donations from Microsoft-aligned people, uh, and I actually did a tweet where I explained there's nothing you know surprising about a senator from the state of Washington, where Microsoft's headquarters, um, to take an interest in an issue in the Japanese console market, with Xbox being in that state. Yeah. If it was an issue about the Japanese ice cream market, you would have senators from Vermont, where Ben and Jerry's headquartered, uh, talking about it. And so I did tweet about, yes, um, they did overplay their hand in a way, because um, if they now actually come to the table, it's possible that maybe something that they that some concessions that maybe they could have achieved through constructive negotiations at an earlier stage, say in December, may not be available anymore. That is quite possible. I, I mm. also don't know whether Microsoft is actually now, now still feels that they are bound to what they offered in December, or whether Microsoft would say, hey, um, the December deal you rejected, but we are still willing to do something that's maybe not 10 years, but five years. I have no idea. But in general, yes, what Sony did was... Um, they really like went for broke. They really just wanted to like block this deal. And that's what um, an Activision executive, Lulu Chang Miserbi, what she tweeted about, where that Jim Ryan, Sony's PlayStation chief, told them in Brussels, in private conversation, it was not the formal official hearing, but he told the other parties, I don't want a new Call of Duty deal. I just want to block your merger. That may have been one of the unwisest things anybody said. <laughs> in connection with this ABK transaction, but that's what that was Sony's position at the time, and that to me is a clear sign of somebody potentially having overplayed his hand. Yeah, I mean Jim Ryan's almost become notorious for putting his foot in it when it comes to saying, I don't know if there's an equivalent German expression for putting your foot in it, but it's like um, 
you know, when you uh, sort of say things you probably shouldn't say. Like, Jim Ryan's become notorious for this. Like, there was this whole sort of uh, furore about, um, apparently he said, you know, inside a gaming reported that he'd said in a in a closed meeting that Xbox Game Pass wasn't a competitor, while simultaneously going out to regulators and saying the complete opposite that uh that it is a th- is that it is a threat and it's it's kind of like you know um a lot of these a lot of this stuff comes back to Jim Ryan specifically um but yeah, that's right yeah it's, it's certainly inconsistent and I also read about that stuff that he said about like Game Pass being being you know nowhere and then um he tells regulators that Game Pass has like an unassailable lead in the market so um it means that they um, they probably that by the way, I mean companies have these conflicts quite often also when they are embroiled in litigation, so for example, they may have to put out certain public statements to um with a view to how the stock market may react, and then they go to court and say, This is like terrible and, and it's like life threatening to our company, but then in public they're just going to say, We have all of this under control, and then obviously that will be held against them, so Sony's not the only company. To have run into that problem, I've seen it before, but in, in this case, I, I think this whole statement about like, I just want to block your merger, that to me looks like an indication of them maybe have, having overestimated at some point the probability of, the, of, of an actual prohibition decision. It's not like regulators are really out there to, to kill mergers they will do it if that's the only the only way they can defend the competitive process but the idea that somebody would do this to just um shield the market leader we're talking about a company that's not just a a leader by a, by a thin margin but really a, a a dominant player in the market that regulators would actually block a transaction just because the transaction is kind of like an inconvenience to uh, to that dominant market leader. I, I think Sony, they may be because of the, the traction they initially got. And some of those preliminary rulings, they, they may have just, yeah, become a little bit unrealistic. Yeah, I, I got this I got this sort of baseless theory that I think like a lot, because Sony is such a dominant player and they enjoy such a prominent mindshare. I think I almost think like with some regulators, their assumption was this was a big tech company trying to muscle in and foreclose Sony who had grown their, grown their business organically. And that Microsoft was somehow, you know, come out of nowhere and trying to be unfair or something. And I kind of feel like, cause in the UK, Xbox is nothing in the UK. Like no, no one, no one, I don't know. I, my friends play Xbox, but it's it's like it's not the console that kids want. It's you never see it marketed anywhere. It's it's like it's nowhere, you know. And it's the same in you know in in Germany, like in um in where I live in Bavaria, like the the local the local um the local supermarkets. They don't even carry Xbox codes. There's like Steam codes. There's even Warcraft codes, but there's no, there's no like Xbox codes for for currency and stuff like that and i think like ultimately it's it's all boiled down yeah. to the fact that the the numbers just don't add up against in in favor of sony's arguments but um but yeah, yeah. and I then suppose... sony even tried to try to create a whole new market right the high powered council market yeah right because they're one of their arguments was that call of duty 
is so essential. We couldn't live without it. But then Microsoft could just point to Nintendo and be like, well, they do extremely well. But then Sony kind of presented a new market to regulators being like, yeah, but Nintendo doesn't count. And it's like, okay, but it had created this opportunity for Microsoft. But like, okay, if we're going to go for a high-powered console market, then you're actually a monopoly <laughs> worldwide. Yeah. You know, uh, and I feel like maybe that backfired. We do have a question here uh, in chat from uh, Joaquin. Um, he says he wanted to know specifically what you think, uh, Florian, if the process that Xbox yes. and Microsoft has gone through with ABK, how long it's taken and the regulatory reviews, if that will have a ripple effect across all of Microsoft and Xbox and give them some uh, hesitant hesitancy on future acquisitions in gaming. Hesitancy. Hesitant, yeah, like they would be more hesitant to maybe acquire somebody because of the pushback they, they've gotten for ABK. It's possible. Um, it probably has a lot to do with the specifics of the deal. Uh, for example, uh, the size of the company that would be the acquisition target. Um, certainly, Sony itself whenever it now makes an acquisition, is then going to, uh, to have to explain why Sony, which really does have this track record of single platforming games, of removing them from other platforms. And especially when Sony says it's, it's PlayStation exclusive, it means it's just going to be exclusive to the latest generation of the PlayStation. It's, when Microsoft makes something sort of exclusive, it still means that you can run it on PCs, you get it over the cloud, but when Sony does this, it's really exclusive-exclusive. That's why I think Sony itself probably uh, should, should think about what questions it's going to get from regulators when it makes another major acquisition. Um, and generally, of course, with Sony having um, yeah, talked to regulators about this and having presented these market definitions, the question is, is that going to mean that um, there's an, a, an increased risk now of regulatory, at least regulatory interest in, in the gaming market, in the console business? We'll see. Right. He also has another question. I don't know if this is your field, uh, but there is this like kind of talking point about Microsoft signaling they want to look to other areas, like maybe acquire Japanese publisher in the future. So uh, he says... Uh, what do you know about the difficulties, if any, uh, there is on acquiring Japanese companies? Because there's this line of thought that a lot of people uh, have been saying that, like, it's impossible for a U.S. company to acquire a Japanese company. Uh, but some, there are a lot of people who push back against that, say that's not true. Do you know anything about that? Um, I honestly don't. What I can say is that obviously. Um, Microsoft's market share in Japan is uh, is tiny. So from an, from a traditional antitrust point of view, um, it's it's hard to imagine that Sony could claim in Japan that um, Microsoft making an acquisition of a Japanese publisher that may be particularly popular also with local gamers um, could um, yeah tip the market. That would be a very hard point to make. I, what I don't know is whether in Japan they have some other regulatory ways, some other regulatory 
um, basis for acquiring for preventing a foreign company from making that kind of acquisition. I would, however, assume that there must be limits to that simply because Japan is also a member of the World Trade Organization and has to meet uh, and maintain certain standards that are globally and universally accepted. That's right, true. right. Um, Jazz, do you have uh, anything? I mean, I suppose the the next topic we should talk about as we you know get get towards the end of the show. Well, is... you know, let's 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 ask Phosphorus prediction. Do you think? Because the CMA, the EC seems kind of like open and shut to me. Do you think? the CMA and the European Commission both approve the deal by their respective dates? I think it's like April 26th and May 22nd. I believe it will happen. I also think they will keep the schedule because the CMA in, on Friday in one of those documents specifically said that they are on schedule, that they um, believe the decision will come down then. And yes, I do believe that there will be clearance decisions, probably with remedies, um, but uh, or maybe even without, but there will be clearance. I don't see a blocking decision. I don't see a anybody insisting on divestiture. At which point, of course, we would then all have to focus on well, what about the what about the U.S. Um, right. A decision is still outstanding, also in China, for instance. But there was a report that um, the Chinese SAMR regulator is um, is inclined to clear. Um, in Australia and New Zealand, they're just waiting for what's going to happen elsewhere. And frankly, I don't think that Australia and New Zealand, that those regulators are really going to be impressed with the FTC's position. I think they are probably a lot more interested in what's happening in the EU and the UK. Um, so that means the question would then be, what is the FTC going to do um, I think that's probably what we're soon going to have to, to focus on. I mean, right, and you mentioned you mentioned so I just one. I got I just he he mentioned <laughs> something I wanted to chase down, Jess, for Just no, uh, you mentioned you mentioned potential that it could close or uh, with potential remedies or or not. Hypothetically, let's say they close, but with remedies. What remedies do, would you think the CMA or the European Commission would put on? Xbox Linux. I'm kind of curious because their their whole thing is about cloud. Uh, so would the remedies be based around cloud essentially? Yes, um, it would probably be um, materially consistent with Microsoft's proposed cloud remedies that that all that that are available online once they submit it to the CMA. Um, I assume that probably they proposed something consistent with that um, to the European Commission. And then at some point, the question is, well, why shouldn't that work in, in America too? Okay. Jez, I, I think I know where you're going with the next one anyways. Well, I was going to ask, like, you know, as we as we move forward, like, what are the, how how do you see the, because, the, like, you know, that you mentioned the expectation is that the CMA will probably approve, the EU probably approve. What is the current process with the FTC, because the FTC is like still this sort of holdout, and we know there's like um, there's appeals processes that that can can go through. But um, with your expertise, can you give us sort of a blow by blow how you how you predict that FTC situation going moving forward? What's very difficult to predict is, of course, whether at some point the FTC too is going to say, well, it's actually better 
to have a positive regulatory outcome and to settle this to just um, which is called a consent decree in the US so that you that the FTC would make a decision but it would be previously accepted by Microsoft thus called consent decree um, I think that's that would be the logical and, 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 and the best thing to do I think the FTC has a lot of other things on its plate it has um, it also I believe should at some point be concerned about its reputation because it's one thing to say, yeah, we want to like develop the law and that's why we have to sometimes bring rather ambitious challenges um, just so that we put certain issues before the judges and get decisions on them. There comes a point where maybe if you like become a serial loser um, that that really does not actually help develop the law the way you want to. And um, that's what the FTC should consider. But um, should the FTC be unreceptive to any constructive proposals and say, well, we don't care about the European Commission's and UK CMA's position on these remedies, uh, we still want to see it through and we want to fight on. Then the FTC at, a, at some point, and I would say after both, the UK and the EU have approved, assuming that they do, but again, that's my prediction, um, the, the FTC would then have to bring a motion for a preliminary injunction, meaning it would have to ask a court in the U.S., a federal district court, totally independent judge, appointed for life and not accountable to the government or anything, just accountable to the law. And they would have to ask that judge somewhere in the U.S., maybe they'll go to Seattle where Microsoft is, Western District of Washington, maybe Southern California where uh, Activision Blizzard is based, maybe D.C. where the FTC is. But they'd have to go somewhere and ask a federal district court to bar Microsoft from closing the deal until the FTC proceeding, the FTC's in-house proceeding is over. Because that may take quite a while. The trial is scheduled for August, but then the decision would come down months later and that could still be appealed um, to a um, United States um, Court of Appeals, a so-called uh, circuit court. That, that's what that's the situation the FTC is going to face, and it was the same with Meta within. Um, they didn't want Meta, uh, Facebook, to buy that virtual reality fitness app. They were asking for that kind of decision. It was just denied. The motion was rejected by the judge, and then the deal was simply closed. And that that, in my opinion, is the most likely thing to happen if the FTC does not reach an agreement with the parties here on some kind of consent decree. I personally think that as a, as a very immediate step, the FTC should also take note of those EU and UK developments concerning the Sony PlayStation uh, theory. And that's, I, I just think the right thing to do for the FTC would be to drop that PlayStation part now and also just focus on the cloud and then work it out for the cloud remedies, or maybe they are just going to skip that step that I described and go into to some overall settlement. But if they don't, then I think they're headed for a loss in court because the legal standard um, in the U.S. to block a merger is reasonably exacting. It's not, uh, it's not going to be easy for the FTC to convince a court that this deal should not be closed. But the, but the FTC could theoretically still do it. They could, after a deal has been closed, but against their objection, over their objection, they could continue, they could carry on with their proceeding and try to like have it undone later. 
but that's a lot more difficult and also a lot less likely to happen. In that virtual reality fitness app case, the FTC decided not to even try. They just dropped their case after they lost because the federal court would not give them that preliminary injunction. Nice. Now, Microsoft has come out uh, months previous, and they did kind of say that they would close the deal without FTC approval. Um, I don't know if that was saber-rattling just to be like, hey, you, you know, telling the FTC, like, you you better, like, you know, kind of come to the table with us because we will close without you. So in a scenario where it, look, it looks likely the CMA approves, European Commission approves, New Zealand approves, Canada approves, China approves, and only the only thing that's left is the FTC, do you see a scenario where Microsoft follows through with what they said and just decides to what essentially would be calling the FTC's bluff and just close the deal, uh, you know, uh, you know, basically saying to the FTC, you know what, file an injunction. Do, do you think that's a possibility? Man, Ron, Absolutely, you, you right. I think mind, that's... <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to ask the same question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's what would happen. And the, the, the reason the FTC has not yet filed a motion for a preliminary injunction, has not yet petitioned the court to, to, to bar Microsoft from closing the deal is because of those outstanding regulatory decisions in jurisdictions like the EU and the UK, where you cannot close the deal without approval. That's the thing. I mean, in the, in the EU and the UK, you do have to wait for the regulatory decision, and then you can try to appeal the regulatory decision if the regulator says, we're not going to let you close the deal. In the U.S., it works the other way around. In the U.S., it's actually the regulator who has to go to court and needs support from a federal judge. That's, that's the way it is, and absolutely, I, I mean, not just Microsoft. I mean, anybody in, 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 in that situation, anybody similarly situated, would just say, all right, we're now just going to go ahead so that the FTC has to then go to court. They would obviously give them enough time and they would give them some kind of advance notice. They would say, we are now going to close the deal. And then the FTC could run to, to whatever federal district court somewhere in the U.S. And then a judge would decide. And I cannot, I, I frankly can't see how the FTC would win that in federal court. With its in-house court, Maybe, but the in-house court cannot actually prevent somebody from closing the deal. Jez, do you have any? I mean, I have another one, but I wanted to see if you had you had something. Um, no, I'm good. I think like Foss covered pretty much everything I want to know. I got one question from Patreon. We could work in. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, so in this in this scenario where Microsoft closes, and let's just say the FTC does file an injunction. How does that actually like work? Is so Microsoft closes it and they they start integrating Activision Blizzard into Microsoft and they own them, but then the FTC would file injunction. Does that actually stop the process or does it continue to go until the judge makes his decision? I'm kind of curious about that. Well, now we're getting into those procedural rules, but I'm happy to explain how it might work. Um Let's assume, you know, just for, for the sake of the argument here that um, there's UK clearance in late April, then they still could wait, okay, what's going to happen in the EU? However, there are already those media reports that the European Commission is inclined to 
uh, to accept those behavioral remedies, but still that's not an official decision. So um, one likely scenario there would be for the FTC to go right after hearing that the European Commission has cleared, right after the EU makes that official announcement on, say, the 22nd, unless they're ahead of schedule, um, the FTC would have to go to a federal district court and first seek what is called a temporary restraining order, TRO. So a TRO is a preliminary preliminary. A preliminary injunction is called preliminary because it's in place until there's a trial and a decision on what could be a permanent injunction, a permanent prohibition. And a TRO um, is in place usually for only two weeks unless there's a stipulation, there's an agreement between the parties and the court that it's going to be enforceable for a little longer. But normally after two weeks, the court then has to decide whether it converts the TRO into a PI, into a preliminary injunction. Otherwise, it just goes away. So that's what the FTC would have to do. The difference between a TRO and a PI in terms of how quickly the court decides is that you can get a TRO within hours. So that's really like a same day thing. They would say there's like this, you know, absolutely imminent closing of the deal. It could happen tomorrow. And we want the court to... um, to actually enter a TRO just so that Microsoft's going to have to wait at least those additional two weeks during which the court can then rule on the FTC's preliminary injunction motion. But what often happens then is that if a judge enters a TRO, the judge will then also talk to the enjoined party, the party on the receiving end of that ban, of that barring decision is going to say, hey, would you give me like, you know, why can't we just agree that I have four weeks, five weeks to, to, to make my decision here on the preliminary injunction? But that's, so the TRO is where the court looks at this and it's really a, a very, it has to be made so quickly that there's no way that there can be um, a, a detailed analysis of this. And, um, and that would be like the first step. So if the, if the FTC didn't get the TRO, then Microsoft could already close. Um, that's, that's the way it would work. Okay. Jez, we got the question? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, this is just uh, one question from Tim PNF, who is new to Patreon. So That's thanks. Tim Dog. Oh, is it really? Yeah, that's Tim. I was talking to Tim last night. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that's awesome. Thanks, Tim Dog. Um, I, I did wonder, actually, because I was like, I'm, I'm sure Tim used to use that handle, but I wasn't 100% sure. Um, do you think... The CMA could also drop the case completely against the cloud, especially if Xbox keeps adding um, uh, licensing deals for third-party competitors and stuff. So, like, basically, I think what he's saying is, like, um, do you think do you think Microsoft's on a path to getting complete approval from the CMA, given the fact that everything's or- oriented around the cloud now? It's conceivable. Uh, It it would not be unprecedented for a regulator to do that. Um, There are basically three outcomes here, not just two. It's not that, you know, binary that you... So the outcome, the the possible outcomes of a merger review here, where where remedies are being discussed, where certain concessions are, are on the table, are that you can have formal remedies, meaning that they also are enforceable by the regulator, 
even though in Microsoft's case, that's very important to mention here, Microsoft proposes self-executing remedies, meaning that the, F the, the CMA itself would not have to, to engage in any monitoring, but Microsoft would pay for an independent third-party monitor. Microsoft would also pay for, for an independent adjudicator to make very quick decisions. So, for example, to determine whether a certain version of Call of Duty does offer parity or not, um, although that part is probably off the table now, but that's just an example of what the adjudicator would do. It would be like a um, an arbitration process to have a very quick and binding decision. So one thing is that the regulator can say, I clear unconditionally, no conditions, period. The other is, okay, these are the formal remedies imposed by us, enforced by us, monitored by us, or by a third-party monitor on our behalf, but and in between, there is always the possibility of regulators clearing a deal based on public statements made by companies or also by facts that have been created in the marketplace. So they could say, well, with all these deals that Microsoft has actually done, has, has struck in the cloud gaming space, um, our concerns have gone away, which still wouldn't be the same as just saying, hey, we let you close the deal and we don't care about what you do. It, it would mean that they just say, well, um, we are satisfied with this um, state of affairs. It is, it is possible. Um, if I had to make a guess, my feeling is probably the CMA is going to, to want something more formal. But again, I wouldn't rule it out. That's cool. Interesting. We do have some questions from chat. We have one here from uh, Silver Lab Guy who says he's really curious about the documents Sony will have to provide to the FTC and how much of it the public will see. I think he's referring to that, uh, the back and forth between Microsoft and, and Sony, where Microsoft was asking for a whole bunch of documents in the FTC case, like for their exclusive deals going back for four years. Um, do you have any, uh, like, a, uh, take on that about what we may see or what they may have to provide? Yes, um, I think I also tried to explain some of that to people on Twitter, and I very often got that question. Um, first, it's not just that Sony wasn't jumping to produce, to deliver the documents Microsoft requested, even when the FTC made its request. Sony tried to kind of like, maybe not stonewall, but at least they, they were not, you know, immediately willing to, to comply with it to the full extent. And no formal decision has been made on that. We do know that Microsoft largely prevailed on its, um, on its motion, uh, that actually Sony's motion was largely rejected because of Microsoft's successful opposition. Um, when Sony just said, hey, Microsoft's requests are overreaching, but, but there are also issues still between Sony and the FTC, oddly and counterintuitively. So let me explain how these things would come to light. First, there is a so-called protective order meaning that initially it's really just outside counsel. In, in the FTC's case, obviously, they are they use their own in-house counsel, but in Microsoft's case, it could be limited to, to counsel. Some, some, may be, some of these documents may be designated you know, as confidential, and then they could not, for example, show them to Phil Spencer um, to discuss with him, to just say, hey, we'd like to get your input on this, because if they did so, then Phil Spencer would see, for example, some of Sony's internal planning documents or it's sort of these contracts with third parties. So in a way, those, that stuff is initially protected, but that's the big but. Over time, if this process continues and 
that really also depends, of course, on the FTC, which may in part depend on whether Sony is going to be constructive or not. If the thing goes to trial, for example, in August, then in principle, it's a public trial. They can seal the courtroom. They can ask the public to leave during parts of it. But it has to be reasonably public. It is public proceeding. Um, what's, what would be even more public is that private lawsuit, the so-called gamers lawsuit, which is not really a gamers lawsuit. I mean, they, they, I don't doubt that, that the plaintiffs in that case are gamers. But it's the lawyers who are the driving force because they want to just get paid by Microsoft to go away. That's what it's all about, presumably. I mean, that's how these uh, cases work. That is in federal court. It's not an FTC case, not at the FTC's in-house court, which some people pejoratively call a kangaroo court. But the other stuff is a federal <laughs> court, especially in the Northern District of California, which is the most transparent district you have in the entire United States. And the appeals court above that, the Ninth Circuit, is the most transparent circuit. So you have you know, a lot of law there that says you have to put a whole lot of things out. To, to give you an example that's related to this deal, Epic and Google had an argument over how much of the information should be made public concerning Google's deals with ABK and other game makers to ensure their continuing loyalty to the Google Play Store. Even though Epic said, we just want to explain the basic concept to the general public, we want to release that, but we don't have to state the exact number. The judge just said there's no reason why the public should know that Google paid Activision Blizzard King $360 million, even though none of the parties wanted to put it out. One was wanted to keep it secret. The other did not insist on putting it, making it public. The judge just said transparency, period. So if that happened, then some of the stuff would be, at some point, would become public. Also, in the build-up to such a trial, you get those various motions. You get like summary judgment motions in federal court. You get all sorts of motions um, ahead of a trial. They're called like motion in limine and, and um, Daubert motions, which are about the admissibility of certain expert uh, testimony. In all of these contexts, there will be motions filed and they will have attachments. There will be exhibits. So there's always, there's like again and again, and they're going to have this argument over whether some of these Sony documents that Microsoft's lawyers may attach to a motion will be sealed entirely or whether maybe only certain passages will be redacted. So to make a long story short, it's not, not binary. It's not like you just put a stamp on it that says confidential and, will remain, that it's, and it's guaranteed to remain confidential for all time. And in fact, sometimes media organizations like the Associated Press, Reuters, Bloomberg, um, they sometimes even intervene in those lawsuits in federal court, bring their own motions and even go up to the appeals court to insist that something be unsealed later. So in a way, it would be quite risky for Sony if some of its sensitive information um, was in the record, because even though it would not be immediately made public, it could happen over time. And maybe even after an appeal to an appeals court, that's just going to say transparency. Okay. Um, we have another question from chat. We have uh, Timothy Voorhees saying he wants to know your opinion, uh, Florian, about the fallout between Microsoft and Activision uh, based on how aggressively Sony's been going after the deal. Do you think there's any fallout between the companies uh, around this? Or is mm. it just going to be like, hey, you were just playing the game. It was fine. you know? Or do you think things are changed forever? I believe the way the question is meant is whether however 
this year will end, you know, whether it, there will be clearance or whether the deal will be blocked, whether Microsoft and Sony and Activision Blizzard King and Sony are not going to get along as well as they used to. So that, that, I guess that's essentially, yeah. Or even if they do get acquired, maybe Microsoft uh, and Activision, maybe they don't have the same relationship with PlayStation. I guess he's just talking about all like the relationships yeah, exactly, between the companies. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, certainly, um, there are like two conflicting goals here. One is, of course, that a company like Sony now has had this regulatory goal. They were making an attempt at regulatory capture. They were hoping to use the regulatory process for their purposes. But then the other goal that's conflicting with this is you do also want to have reasonably good relationships even with your competitors. You want to be ideally co-competitors where you cooperate where it makes sense. Um, at the same time, all of those execs on both sides, whether it's Sony or Microsoft or if Activision Blizzard hypothetically remain independent, ABK, they all have a duty to really do what's best for the company. We're talking about shareholders' money in the end. They have a fiduciary duty. They, they, really, they are the ones who have to do the best job they can for shareholders, and that means they cannot let emotions get in the way and just they at some point will have to say, well, we put the past behind us, it's water under the bridge. That said, obviously, um, they are all human beings. And um, if you, um, for example, like Activision Blizzard, they, they are absolutely sellers. They want this deal to happen. They want to be acquired. They believe that this is the right time in the history of that company. And I think they have good reasons to, to, to think so. And if, if that was... This, if Sony actually thwarted this, if Sony frustrated that deal, then emotionally, I think for Activision Blizzard's executives, it would be quite, yeah, quite difficult to to really talk to Sony um, as if nothing had happened. It's it's psychologically, it's going to be difficult, but in the end, they're all going to be have to be professionals. They're going to have to work it out, and Sony's always going to have this enormous PlayStation market power, which in the end means that everybody's kind of dependent on them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they pretty much have to do what's best for business, right? Yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, it's been a messy, messy, messy process, I guess. Yeah. Oh, we do have another question from Silver Live Guy. He says, uh, he's interested in your opinion, uh, Florian, about if this deal's approved, does Microsoft have to wait before another acquisition and is there a limit imposed to the size of that acquisition, or is it a case-per-case case basis kind of thing? The latter, definitely. Um, it's what, what is clearest, and this is not just related to Microsoft, but any major tech company, and we're talking about really the biggest ones, so like the Apples, Googles, Microsofts, Metas of the world, um, Amazon, of course, they all know now that if they make a major deal, as Microsoft did here, that it's A, going to be a very protracted process. It's not going to be cleared on the fast track, probably. Um, B, it, it will probably also, there will be considerable risk. Um, so um, generally what the regulators have done here is that even if this year gets cleared now, which I believe it will, but... Even if that happens, um, it has done nothing to uh, to encourage 
companies like Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google, um, Meta to um, to do these deals. Um, also, especially, I think it very much discourages and potentially dissuades the shareholders and executives of those companies because if they face the option of being acquired by somebody smaller or also the option of just staying independent, maybe taking the company public or continuing to operate independently as a public company, and the other alternative is to, to be acquired by, by a company the size of Microsoft, more or less, they now know that um, it's not going to be a quick flip. So that, I think, is generally, for the, for the entire industry, a message here um, that um, goes beyond just what Microsoft's next deal is going to be. On the other hand, of course, um, the rule of law makes it necessary that each of these deals, no matter how large and no matter how large the acquirer is, no matter how large the deal or the acquirer, will have to be evaluated on its merits. But again, it, it will take a little longer than it used to. There was a time when those deals were quite permissively just cleared on the fast track and not anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. Because Microsoft's talked about future acquisitions and... You know, I I think they'll wait a while for, it's in the gaming space because it'll probably take a long time to integrate Activision Bethesda into it. I know some people are always on the next, the what's the next thing, right? But um, we do have another question here from One Bad Mother. He kind of just wants a direct answer or, or at least a prediction from you. He says, assuming like everything goes well and European Commission and, and the uh, CMA close uh, approve the deal, do you foresee Microsoft closing the deal on the 23rd, May 23rd? Because that's the earliest they could close it? Um, I think, I, I don't want to like specifically say the 23rd, but um, late May is a possibility, absolutely. Late May is a possibility, okay. There you go, OBM, late May. Late May. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jazz, do you have anything else? Nah, man. I think uh, I think we've covered all the bases. Shall we wrap it up and uh, sure. let let Florian go and enjoy the rest yeah. of his evening? Florian, do you have a, any uh, parting uh, comments or things you you would like to you know talk about that we didn't we weren't smart enough to to ask you about or anything? <laughs> well, only one thing really, and I don't think it's a question of you being smart enough because you did ask very intelligent questions. I really appreciated this conversation. It's been great. Um, I would really say let's already begin you know, with this increased probability of the deal closing. And by the way, Citigroup, huge bank, they've raised their estimate of the deal closing from 50 to 70 percent just on Friday's news from, from the UK. And of course, um, well, I don't you know, want to state a percentage, but I believe there really is no reason why the deal shouldn't go through. That really is my, my heartfelt um, opinion here. Um, let's maybe already look past it a little bit because there is this very interesting plan that Microsoft has with mobile app stores. Say, right. said, they say that this duopoly situation where you've got only one app store on iOS and even though you would theoretically have multiple ones on Android, it's really just the Google Play Store that most people go to when they try to discover a new app. Um, that, I think, is such an interesting thing. and I believe, seriously, that... Many of those Sony fans who have, yeah, 
supported so far, and maybe I think I think Sony gets considerable less support now that people see what the Raiders are doing. But um, some some of those Sony fans, they really just believe Jim Ryan that this was going to be so bad for them. Um, not only are, are they not going to lose anything, they're still going to have Call of Duty, all of that. But what's really important is, I mean, all, all of them have smartphones too. I'm quite sure that if people play on the PlayStation, they do at least play some games, also on the mobile phone, maybe different kinds of games. You know, maybe more likely to play something like Candy Crush on a phone and, um, and a an action shooter on, on their console. They are going to benefit, even if they maybe were, used to be, used to speak out against this deal. I think many of them will benefit if that vision materializes. Of course, it's a big if in the sense of not really of Microsoft getting ABK. I'm very optimistic, very bullish about that. Um, also, I have no doubts about Microsoft really wanting to do that. And they've been very clear. They've also told it to the regulators. Um, but it also requires some, yeah, like regulatory action. For example, in the EU, they have the Digital Markets Act, a law that will force Apple and Google to allow alternative app stores and to also allow allow them to compete on an equal footing, but there's still going to be questions left to be resolved. There's going to be litigation over that. So Apple and Google, they're going to hire armies of lawyers and they're going to challenge every single decision along the way. In the US, um, a similar law, the Open App Markets Act, um, actually got incredible an incredible level of support in a Senate committee in the United States Senate, 20 to 2 vote, but then was never really put to a vote on the Senate floor and in the House um, because of the senior leaders, senior political leaders, um, not really wanting to go against Apple and Google at this stage. In the UK, they are working on something where the CMA would then again play a very important role and where we may all at some point be rooting for the CMA and that they actually um, enforce that new law whenever the UK has put it in place. And that, of course, is a requirement because it really takes like two things here. One is that Microsoft or others like Epic Games who want to you know, create the Epic Games mobile store, those companies, they need the opportunity in the first place. If Apple just says, no, we're not going to let you do that, then they are shut out and they cannot do it. But then they also need a critical mass of must-have apps, of you know, very attractive apps and content um, so that people are going to use that store, not just to download Microsoft to Epic Games' own product, but also third-party products, that they're going to go there for discovery. And that then creates opportunities for many smaller and, and also medium-sized um, app makers and game, games, game studios um, to, to have an alternative, or more than one alternative, ideally, to have viable alternatives to the Apple and Google stores. And that is just something that I believe if this works out, it's going to take some time. Microsoft said they, their plan was to launch that new mobile app store next year, 2024. But it could be that a lot of Sony fans are actually going to see the benefits of like prices coming down and more choice and, and, and app stores with alternative designs, some of which may be more appealing to gamers. That was just something that I personally, as somebody who also, also, by the way, filed his own form of complaints over some of Apple's and Google's rules. Um, that's what I'm really looking forward to. I hope that when that happens in the end, even those who used to be against the deal are going to say, oh, actually, um, on the bottom line, it has also been net positive for us. Right. You know, I, you brought up the, the Citigroup thing about them. They were basically 50-50, right? They're 50% of the deal closing. Now they're up to 70%. 
So basically 70-30. In your opinion, are they being a little conservative in that estimate? Because when I look at what's gone on recently, I feel like, I'm not saying this is like a slam dunk, but I feel like the the odds are better than 70-30. Is it still kind of, are they still kind of like, okay, it's 30% because we don't know what the FTC is going to do. I guess the CMA could still block it or ask for a divest, uh, divestiture over cloud. Are, is it, or is it just them being conservative, like I mentioned? Um, definitely that whole financial services industry is these days um, being very conservative about these deals. Also, there were a couple of mergers in other industry where they recently ran into major issues, and then you could see, you know, uh, stock prices like plummeting on a single day just on bad news, and like that like you're going down by ten or twenty percent or so. Um, they've they've seen in recent years that deals like, for example, Nvidia Arm fell through. Now that was not a problem to investors because Arm itself was privately held, um, but still they 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 saw this and they are increasingly apprehensive of of those agencies. If we talk about what are those risks, and I think you've identified them, I mean, it comes down to whether um, the CMA would, even with this narrow case, still insist on a divestiture. Um, What investors are concerned about is that CMA decisions are very difficult to appeal. So, um, as I explained before, with the FTC, it works the other way around. Like, the FTC needs help from the court, but in, in, in the UK, it's like, there is a special court, Competition Appeal Tribunal, uh, the CAT above the CMA, but the standard of review is very deferential, meaning you have to really show that the, that the CMA is insanely wrong in order for the court to overrule them, and then the court only remands, only sends it back to the CMA to make another decision. That is something that that is you know that is a large part of the reason uh, for the for the spread for the for the for the difference between. The current stock price, which is like $84 or so, I think it was before we started our podcast. I'm sure we didn't change anything about it. Um, And the $95 per share that that Microsoft offers, um, a lot of that has to do with um, the difficulty of appealing a CMA decision. But of course, some some probably also then factor in some kind of like residual risk, some remaining risk. Um, that maybe the EU in the end uh, could could reach a different conclusion, and that maybe even though the FTC's case, I, I know that I know from my own Wall Street contacts that the FTC's complaint didn't impress anybody. I mean, when people saw that, they found it was shockingly weak in terms of the legal theories. Uh, um, I mean, that theoretically those theories would be okay, but there were no facts really to underpin those theories. And um, that yeah, they had no evidence, also no evidence of Microsoft having bad intentions, but that, you know, there's like this long shot thing that maybe the FTC would get the preliminary injunction. And then you've got this July 18th day that is in the merger agreement between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard approaching, where Activision Blizzard, if Microsoft was not in a position to close by the 18th of July, Activision Blizzard could just say, we want $3 billion dollars. That's what the, what the contract envisions for that scenario, the breakup fee. The other scenario, of course, would be for Microsoft and Activision to just negotiate an, an extension in order to appeal. I personally think that, especially where we are now and with so many things having worked out, if like only one regulator caused issues or like the FTC surprisingly got a preliminary injunction, I believe they would probably be able to, to work out an extension, but I don't really know how those negotiations would go. So that's just, you know, to talk about those 
possibilities and the 70%, um, there are reasons to argue that actually it's, 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 it's extremely conservative, but in this overall market climate and given that there's some risk in each of these critical jurisdictions and with all that has happened so far, I can see why city would say that, but one could certainly also give a higher percentage. Right. And it, with the shoe being on the other foot, like, and this, I'll ask you this about like PlayStation, right? A lot of people are like, they have to respond, right? There's rumors, although I think it was just made up about them looking at trying to acquire take two in the future. <laughs> uh, let's just hypothetically say Sony needs to make a big splash um, they try to go after take two, would they get less regulatory pressure than Microsoft or Sony with ABK, or would they get a lot more based on their market leader position? The latter is what should happen because really right. merger law is about market share. Um, it's not about deal size. It's not about the size of the acquiring part. It's, it's strictly about market share. It's about, do you get too much concentration in a certain field? Or if we talk about foreclosure, it's really about whether something is, is like a very essential asset. And if you don't have that, you don't have access to that, you're like shut out of the market. Um, and that should, that's the way it should go. But of course, Sony is not a big tech. And that means that certain people, like for example, Lena Khan, the chair of the FTC, um, is a lot more concerned about those trillion-dollar market cap companies than about a $100 billion market cap company, which, again, has nothing to do with the law. It's just politics. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess the other thing was Microsoft is, with them being like, hey, we want to keep Call of Duty everywhere, signing all these deals, does that set a precedent for regulators if, in a scenario... PlayStation or somebody else decides to buy one of these big publishers with a big game like Grand Theft Auto, per se, would then regulators look at that and be like, mm, you know what, we're going to need you to essentially make sure that Grand Theft Auto remains everywhere in a similar sense because this is what happened in a, in a, in a previous acquisition with, with Microsoft and Call of Duty? Is that something that would uh, kind of happen as well or no? I've probably just spent too much time um, commenting on, on legal cases um, to liberally use the word precedent because no precedent, okay. that, is, that may mean, so for example, in the EU, a European Commission decision is not precedent. In the EU, it would actually have to be decided by the European Court of Justice. Um, and, um, but um, if we use it like, colloquially the term and you know and we, we, we mean it broadly more broadly than lawyers would mean it then um one can can make that argument but one doesn't even have to because they could just simply point sony to its own statement and we we know they are public statements we know documents that have been made public in redacted in a redacted form and they've said a whole lot of things to this effect already and that's documented but they must have said a lot more to the regulators. There must have, in, in their uh, confidential submissions, such as to the European Commission, there must be a whole lot more to that effect. So Sony would, of course, be confronted with its own statements, which is not 
does not mean, I mean, Sony does not make law. Fortunately, they don't, because then we wouldn't be having this conversation today. They would have just <laughs> simply decided that it's not going to happen. But um, Sony cannot make law through its submission, but it can create a situation where psychologically, if regulators just um, told Sony, look, this is what you said, and GTA definitely is a AAA title, and it is, by some measure, more of a must-have title than Call of Duty. And Call of Duty is not a must-have in a strict sense, but Sony said it is. But if if, the, if you accept Sony's own argument, then GTA arguably is even more must-have. And in that case, of course, um, Sony would yeah face this problem of having to suddenly say, no, we were just telling you those stories. We we're telling you fairy tales because we wanted you to block Microsoft's deal, but that was all bullshit. I mean, Sony's not going to be able to do that, <laughs> and that creates a very interesting situation. Yeah, yeah it really does. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think, like Jess says, I think we've uh, talked about this uh, to death. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, make sure to tell people where they can follow you on Twitter or check out your blog. So anybody listening to this now and when it goes live to everybody later can uh, hit that follow button. Exactly. Uh, thank you very much again. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's been really interesting. It's, I, I hope it's going to be um, be well received by the audience. And um, so FOSS Patents is my Twitter handle, F-O-S-S Patents. Um, you can find me there. Um, and, um, on, and my blog is FOSSPatents.com. That's, that's the website. Um, yeah, so those are the ways of finding me. So again, FOSS originally meaning free and open source software, but practically it's a mobile uh, mobile patents and also mobile devices, kind of like uh, antitrust blog. It's become uh, so people should not be scared away by the patents in the word. Yes, I do comment on patent cases, but on Twitter, my focus is primarily actually on on um, on tech regulation now, on App Store cases like Epic versus Apple, Google, and ABK. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, Jazz. I, when we were talking about guests, I was like, man, who should we get? But you picked, you picked the winner. I really enjoyed this conversation because, yeah. I mean. I feel smart. Uh, I feel uh, yeah, smart. I feel, I, feel, I feel lightened knowing, uh, <laughs> picking, picking uh, Florian's uh, brain here. So uh, thank you so much yeah, uh, for coming so much, on. Thank you so much, man. And, um... Yeah, very welcome. And thank you so much. And we'll stay in touch. Yes, of yes, course. Indeed. I'm watch, sure watch, the deal, more... watch the deal get blocked in the future, and we'll have to do another one of these or something. <laughs> like, you, never, <laughs> you never know what's going, going to go on with with all this stuff. So uh, uh, don't say that. Don't yeah, say no, that we don't, we don't want you to get all 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 sad again, Jez. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, well, who knows? Maybe we'll be having this conversation about some other major publisher Microsoft tries to acquire next year, but yeah. or Sony, I guess. Yeah, true that. Yeah. But um, I think that's it for now. Thanks everyone who joined in and uh, should we sign off Rand? Do you want to sign us yeah. off? Yeah. So thank you guys for being here. Um, we'll be back on Friday with another episode of the Xbox two podcast until then. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week and uh, keep it gaming later guys. West Bye. of the week, whatever, you know, you know, I say things <laughs> wrong. Take you care know. everybody <laughs> later. All right. Bye.